Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, it's the kid with no lid, Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman. If you're anything like me, you're probably sitting there in your gloom and doom trying to figure out where the hell the holidays went. And you know what? You're not alone. I'm also doing that and uh, feeling really nostalgic for weird things like uh, a week ago I was doing this, a day ago I was doing this. Oh, remember when we took the trash out and you know we were watching Christmas Vacation? It's little things like that that just kind of eat at you. But look, I've got some to cheer you up. A couple weeks ago, fellow loser Jen Adams and I sat down with the Stan showrunner, Benjamin Cavell, to talk all things Stephen King. Uh, And I got to say, this guy is a true blue constant reader. So, I mean, for us, hearing his approach to the novel is as intriguing as it was uh, relating, you know, because he's one of us, one of us, goobble gobble, goobble gobble. That's a reference to Todd Browning's Freaks, uh, if uh, you're not a cinephile. But uh, anyway, um, what we discussed was his earliest memories with Stephen King, uh, the current, I guess, controversial structure of the show that has everyone talking, uh, casting the story, uh, staying true to the themes, trying to keep things not too religious, but also wrestling with the religious themes as well. Uh, And then we also talked about that coda that Stephen King wrote, uh, which is a big deal. All new ending. We have no idea what the hell is going to happen here. And uh, it involves one character that, uh, uh, Franny, <laughs> that's the title. So it's going to be Franny in the Well, I believe. But you're going to hear all about it. Um, so it's lots ahead to discuss and to listen to. So uh, grab one of those candy canes still dangling by your uh, dying tree uh, and join us. And uh, I'll see you on the other side. Come out the darkness. It seems the world has met its end. But the fight has only just begun. You have been chosen for a purpose. Where will you stand? stand? Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, you know, doing the, the stand press circuit, it became clear to me that the 15 minutes uh, was just not enough because, you know, you are clearly a constant reader, constant listener um, of Stephen King's work. So we just really wanted to pick your brain about The Stand and Stephen King and uh, just was really excited uh, to hop on the phone with you. Uh, me too. I'm so glad. I figured with The Stand, there's so much to discuss, but might as well start with Stephen King just because, you know, he's the, the man of the hour, the man of the nine hour. Uh, yeah, heard, heard of him. Heard <laughs> yeah, of him. right? Yeah. Well, when when were were the what are the earliest memories with Stephen King's work for you? Um, well, I suppose uh, you know uh, I was probably twelve ish when I discovered King, and you know it was right kind of at the time that I was uh, realizing that I what I wanted to do was write, and I didn't know whether that meant books or magazines or or movies or what, but I just knew that I loved writing and I loved reading, and you know. King was was one of the early authors that I, you know, the early sort of 
written strictly for grown-ups authors that I uh, <laughs> that I think I, I discovered and and started to plow through. And you know, it's funny. And it and it look you Taylor Elmore, my my uh, who is also an executive producer on the show, who I I brought in to you know be my partner in shepherding it through production. I you know he he is a a king completist and and uh, and loves kind of horror genre stuff. I, I listen. I love that. I mean, I love those those big King touchstones. Uh, you know, The Shining and Pet Cemetery and it and things that I'm sure will seem to your listeners like you know very kind of pedestrian titles in the King oeuvre. But um, I, I never, it, none of those things ever sort of I don't know tickled my imagination as something that I would like love to write you know I, I mean I was fascinated reading them but I just I couldn't really wrap my head around how you would how you would go about creating that that kind of real horror genre stuff whereas other King titles like for example The Stand which I really don't think of as a as a classic horror book by any means I'm sure mm-hmm. you guys don't either or or on a on a different side of a King spectrum actually a Bachman spectrum uh <laughs> yeah the Running Man the Running Man, which was a, you know, actually, which, you know, I, I secretly have been chasing for some time <laughs> to do a, a a series adaptation of the, you know, to my my idea is to return to the book because I feel yeah. like the 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 movie, you know, the Schwarzenegger movie is a Schwarzenegger movie, and it yeah. and it's, it feels like <laughs> pro wrestling, and and that, you know, a return to you know a, a grounded and and faithful adaptation of the book of the running man I, because a i think that book is so prescient about so many things not not even just our our entertainment culture but you know all, all sorts of ways in which you know the the society that we're living in is the dystopia that king was imagining uh, you know oh, totally. 40 years ago um yeah. so yeah i mean that's my that's my relationship with king which i suppose is is slightly unconventional in that you know obviously the guy is <laughs> I don't know. The guy's reinvented the horror genre. He's now synonymous with with horror for uh, an entire generation of of readers, but mm-hmm. an entire generation of humans. But um, yeah, I that that was again love that stuff. But it was never the stuff that I I was most attracted to, uh, and most inspired by just to to uh, in my own stuff. So when when the opportunity came along three years ago to adapt one of those books that was one of the ones that I, that I really gravitated to and, and that really stuck with me and that really felt inspiring as a, you know, as a, as a person who wanted to create stuff himself. It just felt like that was such, such kismet. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I just jumped at it. When you were thinking about approaching it, were there other adaptations you were kind of looking at when, like, about what kind of adaptations got it right? Because I feel like with Stephen King and adapting his work, there's there's a kind of a divide between the ones that really capture the essence and the ones that um, are a little that turn into Schwarzenegger movies in the best way. But right, was, yeah, you know, was there anybody, any ones in particular that you kind of looked at? I mean, I, I, I'm sure that we all know what the what the brilliant ones are. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess here, you know, I looked at them in a in a large way in 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 terms of you know I don't know how much you can take from sort of like particular choices that you make for particular books but I do think overall you know there are certain challenges that just run through the idea of adapting any any king book and well, mm-hmm. one of them is that 
King is such an internal writer. I mean, in, in, in yes. the best way. I mean, so much of the pleasure of the books is the access that he gives you to the, you know, the deepest, most secret thoughts and desires and feelings of mm -hmm. his characters, right? I mean, mm -hmm. stuff that they're not going to tell anybody. So, uh, you know, which is wonderful to read, but obviously the, the, as soon as you sit down to try to adapt it, now you're in a position of having to take all this internal stuff and figure out a way to have it read on screen, you know, either from something somebody says or some gesture they make or some look on their face. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, already you're in a position now of pretty fundamentally changing it. And, and I mean, more than frankly, in, in many authors, I mean, I spent six seasons on Justified, you know, adapting Elmore Leonard mm -hmm. and, uh, Elmore Leonard in in those ways is a much easier author to adapt than King in the sense that all of Elmore's plots are driven by dialogue. I mean, mm, you know, yeah. the the you you have very little access to characters' thoughts. I mean, it may, you know, here and there, but it's it's mostly about sort of what they say and what they don't say and and all that stuff. Uh, now, the sound of it is incredibly hard to capture, and that was that was the challenge on Justified. Um, but uh, yeah, but King, you know, King has that inherent challenge. And I think, look, I think that he also, there are just things that you're willing to accept as a reader and, and, and digressions that you're willing to accept as a reader that, uh, you know, as a, as a viewer uh, are just going to be much harder to, to sit still for. I mean, uh, I suppose in, in, in our process, the, the one that's, uh, that, that's most glaring that, that we thought, you know, we were excited to have more time than the original miniseries because we knew we would get to restore some things that they had to cut out. And I'm very proud of being able to restore Rita Blakemore, uh, yeah. you know, which mm -hmm. I, I just, I, to me, that's, that's such a memorable part of the book, the kind of sojourn that Larry and Rita have in this empty New York. And uh, I, I don't know, Heather Graham is so wonderful in the part in our series. I, I just, I felt great about being able to restore that. It really felt like a big win. We also though went into it thinking that we were gonna restore the character of the kid who is also <laughs> yeah. a memorable part of the of the unabridged <laughs> edition. Yep. And uh, well, we just, we came to a point at which we realized you know, the kid only exists, I mean, the kid exists in the book, uh, I, you know, for all the color he provides, he exists in the book to A, further traumatize Trash Can Man, and B, to transport Trash Can Man, not even to Las Vegas, but kind of close to Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, well, for one thing, when we saw sort of the way Ezra Miller was, was uh, you know, planning to to play trash and and his characterization, uh, you know, our our immediate response was, I don't know that this guy needs to be any more traumatized to do <laughs> right? what we need him to do. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I get it, I get it. I don't I don't think we need to see him brutalized by this weird, uh, you know, aging hipster, whatever the kid is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I, I I think trash <laughs> is capable of whatever we need him to do. And uh, and if the kid doesn't drive him to Vegas, then he gets to Vegas the way you know. He gets anywhere else or the way anybody else right. gets to Vegas, which is they just kind of get there. Right. Well, so, and he got to Vegas uh, yeah. in the original version, too. Like 100 percent with, with no kids. Him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. So so, you know, there's there's stuff like that where you have to make these hard choices about what will play, uh, you yeah. know, in, on on screen and sort of what what I don't know how how you're maintaining your your narrative momentum and your, you know, this kind of propulsive visceral story uh that you're you're using to pull the audience along no matter what 
no, you know, no matter what the show's about intellectually and how deeply you want to explore all those questions, you know, you also have this responsibility to be, to be taking your audience. You know, I, I just, I know that everybody sort of, everybody's knee jerk is, oh, well, I, I mean, obviously you just, you just make the book. I mean, I, you, you sort right. of hear people say that all the time and it's like, <laughs> so it's just an yeah, do you, do you <laughs> right. guys want to, do you guys want to sit through with 25 pages of like a Boulder committee meeting? Cause you can, you can <laughs> do that. I'm partial to the meeting notes. But Jen would totally the way, but I could not handle that. hundred percent. I love that stuff. I mean, I love uh -huh. the ideas expressed, but I do think it's, you know, our responsibility, my responsibility, responsibility as a as a showrunner as a as a creator as a filmmaker of whatever to you know I don't know find a way to get that stuff across but make it entertaining <laughs> right yeah well and there's another section that was left out of the miniseries that is uh one of my it's it feels weird to say this is a favorite part of the book for me but the part with the zoo where we first meet yeah. um Susan Stern and Dana Jurgens, um and it's kind of a similar story to um the kid so did you have any hesitations in including that in the story or how did you approach that decision when we were initially breaking the show you know we were going to put more of that in i mean we mm -hmm. wrote actually owen owen king uh wrote an episode in which you know and when we we broke the episode in which there was you know a fair amount of the the zoo and mm -hmm. and you know them trying to figure out how to how to get out of that you know it really look in part because of the of the direction that we were going where you know the the stand for me for us is is as i think i said not not really a book about a pandemic and you know we 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 didn't want to i mean again the the we wanted our story to be about the the elemental struggle between the forces of flag and the forces of abigail for the mm -hmm. for the soul of the world that's left and you know and 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 that's why we start where we start you know after the the plague and flashback and it just felt like kind of wallowing in uh you know in so much of the horror of captain trips and and their journeys to boulder mm -hmm. i w was was sidetracking us and also just I, I don't know, seeing seeing our people further brutalized just didn't, it just didn't feel necessary. And it didn't, mm -hmm. uh, it didn't feel like something we wanted to kind of force, force everyone to sit through. I mean, we obviously do a version of the zoo and, and, and of their, you know, escape from, from people who accost them on the road. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it felt like we just didn't, we just didn't want to live there for too long. Also, frankly, you know, I mean, we're very conscious of, you know, we're, we're adapting a 40 year old book, but mm -hmm. also in the last 40 years, that book has been ripped off a lot yeah. and, mm -hmm. you know, in, in a lot of different ways and in a lot of different places, I don't have to call them out necessarily. I, I'm sure everybody <laughs> knows them. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, but you, you know, look, the guys who made Lost were very upfront about the idea that they were, you know, really, you know, taking a lot of inspiration from the stand. And, and you know, I, I'm sure, I mean, I haven't read it necessarily, but obviously The Walking Dead is hugely influenced by, oh, totally. by, mm -hmm. by things in the stand. So, you know, we also, I, like even though we're going back to the the source material in some way and the 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 thing that established the the cliches that that uh, you know other other shows may be uh, indulging in, we we also were aware of wanting to stay away from those cliches in places where it felt like we were you know I don't know skirting the edge of them. So 
Yeah. So there is that too. I was gonna say, there's a difference between reading it in a book and seeing it on screen. So I a hear huge you there. Difference. And I think that um, it kind of goes back to the meeting notes as well. You know, I could enjoy reading that for 45 minutes, but maybe not watching it. So. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate no, the tough. consideration there. Yeah. Would have been hilarious if there was like an entire episode that's like a C-SPAN thing where it's just. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's just the sitting there just like, wait, wait a second. What, what happened with the flashbacks? But um, right. yeah, exactly. I, I actually wanted to talk a little bit about the flashbacks. And it's cool that you mentioned Lost because that was definitely one of the comparisons that I just jumped on was the the idea of being able to pull back into the past and um and it's such an interesting way to be able to tackle uh this epic tome and I wondered you know how early on did that structure come into play was it something that you came into the book or was it something that maybe came out naturally as you were trying to like chisel it down for this mm, medium oh pretty pretty immediately actually I mean you know as soon as I revisited the book uh i i felt it i mean i you know it well listen one of the one of the reasons that we did it is that the you know the the most i mean that beginning of the book is is wonderful uh and memorable but we we also made a decision to try to go away uh, essentially everywhere from from the pops out to the 10,000 foot view that mm -hmm. that King sometimes gives us and by the way which which can be wonderful and memorable uh you know there's that whole section of the book that chapter that where it's this series of vignettes of people dying not not of the flu but sort of of their isolation and yeah. you know, just accidents and whatever in the aftermath and you know all the vignettes end with uh, no no great loss mm -hmm. um now that's an incredibly memorable section of the book but it also it's it's just not something that we wanted to do in the show in part because you know we we always had the mantra of if we if we can't do it really well let's not do it mm -hmm. you know it, let's not mm -hmm. do things let's not check boxes and let's not mm -hmm. you know I, I do think sometimes especially things with our kind of budget uh they get so impressed with all that they can do that they start to try to do things they can't do and that that kind of can't be done in a way that looks really good and really grounded. Mm -hmm. And we never wanted to do that. So, you know, we never wanted to sort of pop wide for no reason and give you this enormous view of a of a destroyed world or or, you know, go various places and see people that we'd never seen or or would never see again mm -hmm. die horrible deaths. I mean, again, in the book it 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 is interesting and rich and somehow, you know, adds to the texture. But in mm -hmm. in the series it just didn't feel it just didn't feel honest and it didn't feel like something that was going to be as compelling as staying, you know, really in the, in the very limited point of view of our characters. And actually mm -hmm. I have to say, um, you know, obviously, look, this was three years ago that, that I and we were making these decisions, but mm -hmm. I have to say as our, as our real experience with, with this awful pandemic that we're living through has rolled out. I do, I, I do feel that the, staying in the the limited point of view of our people and sort of seeing their little window of of you know of their their little view their little piece of information or you know uh, seeing them try to kind of piece together what's going on and how to protect themselves and how to respond it felt very true at least to my experience of 100 what yeah. we're living through you know mm -hmm. you never get the ten thousand foot view you know that it, it's always about what what is happening in your little corner of the world and what you can see and what you can kind of glean from the stuff that you're overhearing or what your friends are saying and uh yeah so that 
I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that we, we obviously we didn't do it. You know, we, we had made that decision, like I said, three years ago, but I, I'm in retrospect, I'm very happy that we did because I, it does feel true to the experience of living through something like this, where, you know, so much of what's scary about it is all that you don't know and all yeah. that's going on outside your field of vision. Well, was there a discussion to kind of expand this into a multi-season arc? Because there's certainly enough content, I think. Um, or were you intentionally trying to distance the story from Mick Garris's 1994 miniseries? I, I don't know that we were consciously trying to distance the show from the miniseries. I mean, look, the show was going to be distant from the miniseries just by its by its very nature, you know, yeah. I mean, I, well, for one thing, and, 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 and this, and maybe this does answer your question about the, the multiple seasons thing. I mean, I, the, the reason I think, uh, well, listen, a reason that I was so excited to do the stand beyond the fact that it's the stand is that, or to do the stand right now is that there is this new medium. I, I think mm. of it as a new medium, this incredibly mm -hmm. high end limited series where you're hiring actors who would never sign on to a, a multi-season yeah. show and, mm. you know, and you're mm. operating with budgets that, that no multi-season show really, I mean, I don't know, maybe except for game of Thrones. Or, or <laughs> yeah, something. that's true. No, yeah. That, that, that nobody has. And, and, you know, it, it, I mean, I'm very aware of all the attempts that have been made over many years. I mean, I started with what George Romero to, to try to make the stand into a feature. And I just, I, I don't know how you would possibly do that. I, I can't even wrap my head around it. It feels like somehow this book was waiting for this new medium, which is a sort of not quite a feature, not quite TV, you know, mm -hmm. it, 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 it's almost a nine hour feature, except it does have chapters in each episode, at least that, you know, the, the way, the way I approach it, the way we approach it is, is that each chapter has to stand alone and have its own, its own beginning, middle and end and its own propulsive momentum into the next chapter, but mm -hmm. that the whole thing is going to be a kind of, you know, nine hour, uh, feature with these chapters and 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 with a, a features level of of production and VFX and and you know that just requires a budget and a lead time and and actors that I think just wouldn't lend themselves to a to an ongoing series. So you know I, that may be a long answer to your question. I mean, the, the <laughs> no, fact that's is, fine. <laughs> that's yeah. the whole point. Well, but the fact the the fact is, you know, CBS. I mean. Look, I never pushed it. I never said I wanted to be two episodes or I wanted to be fifty episodes. But they they were they certainly were open. Uh, it it seemed to having it be whatever length we felt it needed to be to mm. tell the story. And and you know, I, I really feel like we ended up in a in a wonderful place. I mean that you know the the book. The book gets bogged down uh, in the middle. It gets bogged it down in Boulder. And and by the way, I'm not breaking news. King has King has said it himself many times. I mean mm -hmm. that, you know, that it really sort of grinds to a halt in Boulder. And I feel like we have found a way to make those Boulder scenes, I think, really compelling and 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 interesting. And I think if we just had to sort of, you know, stretch them out. Uh, over a over a longer period. I mean, even honestly, over one more episode, we would have to start treading water, you know, and and mm -hmm. start to not move too fast. We go, oh well, you can't get you can't get quite there, you know. You have to save mm -hmm. that, and, yeah. and mm -hmm. we just we just were never we just were never in that position, and that felt so so freeing and so luxurious, and and you know, is a reason that I'm just proud of every episode of the show. I don't feel like there's any episodes that are that are just standing still and and treading water. I feel like everything's advancing. 
Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I, and I think that looking in hindsight with some of the shows, you know, after the runs of all these classic legendary shows, you always have people that look back and go, eh, you know, they probably could have made this three seasons or they could have made this four seasons, you know, after like a six season run or something like that. And that's never, you know, and you can't really sure. ever see that until it's like sometimes in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, what I love about this is that, and especially early on in the series, um, and mind you, I've seen six episodes. So it's for me, it's, it's you know, and we're not going to divulge too much on the later episodes because <laughs> this is dropping, you know, around the, the third episode. But um, it really does feel as if you've kind of anchored this uh, adaptation around uh, Harold and Franny. Um, it really kind of feels yeah. as if it's their point of view. And I wonder if that was the intent. Oh, absolutely. And, okay. and, and part of it, part of it honestly goes to what I was just talking about, about the Boulder section. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I look, I, I don't know how, how deep we want to, we want to dive in the sort of, I don't know, the breaking of and, and figuring out of a, out of, of a TV show, but you know, that, that Boulder stuff is really challenging. And one of the ways that we cracked it was by figuring out that, Harold is really the protagonist of the Boulder section. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Harold Harold is the one with a secret, uh, you know, who's in constant danger of being found out or exposed and he's the one with a with a real agenda and a real plan that he's trying to advance. He's not, you know, he's not just sort of rolling with events or trying to catch up and figure out what's going on. I mean, he's, you know, he's got a mission and a secret and and he's in constant danger and 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 he is torn. And mm-hmm. all those things add up to, wow, that's a protagonist. And by the way, I mean, it, you know, there's also a little cheat sheet in a King book, which is usually the guy who's the writer or the aspiring writer. Yes. <laughs> at least some that version is... of the protagonist. Right. Um, Dead on. But, uh, <laughs> but no, but, you know, it that that felt like, and, and it felt like, you know, if a character like Harold, um, if, if we can make Harold sympathetic and if we could really have the audience be invested in him and and sort of interested in the choices he's making and the the path he goes down and to to you know maybe have moments of rooting for him you know in in the first episode and and as in the book you know Harold is pretty upfront about Mm -hmm. the the other way he could go I mean he even has a name for this kind of other person he could be Mm -hmm. right that he he gets called Hawk in in Boulder he gets sort of given this nickname Mm -hmm. and he and he kind of invents that that character as a sort of another life that that maybe he could in another world making other choices kind of getting you know led down other paths maybe maybe he could another life that maybe he could lead and and you know I, it was very important, I think, for the for the show uh, to have the resonance that we wanted to have. That that we as an audience feel that and 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 feel the feel the loss of this of this other guy that Harold can't bring himself to to fully be and embrace. And I just I love Owen's performance, frankly, throughout. But there's a moment in episode one where um, you know he just he just saves Wyzak from falling into one of the yeah. the mass graves mm-hmm. they're building. And Wyzak hugs him and is all, you know, bro-y with him and, and grateful to him. And, and, and Owen has this look over his shoulder wearing, you know, most of his face is covered. It's really just with his eyes. But he looks both incredibly proud and terrified yeah. of, mm-hmm. you know, sort of, I, I don't know, being treated as, as this person and, and, and being seen as having so much to offer. And I just, I, I felt like that was so, it, it's so definitive about Harold that he is both 
both proud and terrified at the idea that he might be able to be this this useful person in a, mm -hmm. in a society and be accepted by his peers. Oh, yeah. There's so much rich nuance with him. I, I, right. I, just, I love his role here. Uh. Yeah. And, and that performance, I mean, I, I really can't, I, I frankly can't say enough about it. I mean, I, I Owen, I, Taylor, Taylor Elmore and I always would say to each other, it feels like, you know, Owen can give you kind of every emotion yeah. on his face, sort of between mm -hmm. one and the next. And, you know, a cloud passes over and it looks like Owen is going through, I don't know, all, all stages of grief and happiness mm -hmm. and joy. And it's just like, how, how does somebody have a face that is malleable in that way? He's like Jim Carrey meets Anthony Perkins. Oh my God. I, yeah. I that's a know. perfect mix. No, that's right. a oh, totally good. perfect mix, especially Perkins. Oh my God. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yeah. There's a moment when he's talking to uh, Stu and Franny where he's got that that ch cheesy oh, grin gosh. on his face and I then know. it just slips for just a second and you can see like this rage yes. underneath and I was blown away by his performance and I was really excited to see him as like the central character of the first episode oh, because good. I agree with you. I think he is the most interesting character in the book. He's the most dynamic. I think he has the the most interesting arc and I, I think agree. this is the most yeah, complete arc. Exactly. Yeah, like, totally. as I was growing yeah. up, I was really into Stu and Franny. And the older I got, I just kept becoming more drawn to Harold because I think that's such a relatable decision. Like, who am I going to be and what am I going to choose? Right. And I think that it's an instance of like the flashbacks really serving the story very well because you don't get to his decision as you're reading the book until like, 500 pages in I feel like there are hints but like the meat of that arc is not until far into the story and I feel like the way you've structured it you set that central dynamic or the central choice up right from the beginning and I love oh, I'm it. so glad I, I I'm so glad I I I agree I I'm I'm really I'm I couldn't be prouder of sort of the way the way it turned out I mean especially especially all that that Harold stuff, it just feels, and, and, and thank you for, thank you for citing that moment when he, you know, is, is kind of giving them his Tom Cruise smile and then oh, yeah. drops away. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've always loved the, the movie, the adaptation of American Psycho with Christian Bale. And there yeah. are a couple of times, mm -hmm. there are a couple of times in that where you sort of see this moment in which Bale is putting on a, you know, this incredibly charming warm smiley face to the world and then somebody turns away and 
it just drops to nothing and it's yeah. like oh god uh-huh. this guy's oh, this guy's terrifying right and, and that's so and, scary uh, yeah so that i mean that 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 moment is kind of a direct homage to to that <laughs> stuff but but i'm glad you noticed it and i i do find it so affecting especially with owen's you know rubber face and that smile mm. dropping away to whatever that sneer is it's like <laughs> oh god yeah. don't right. mess with that dude or don't turn your back on him exactly no, yeah oh, well and i've also been really impressed with odessa young as franny and that totally. is franny is one of my all-time favorite characters in literature and i'm always a little nervous to see how she's talked about and how she's portrayed and i think odessa young is fantastic and i've been a huge fan of her since assassination nation right and then she was amazing in shirley as well um were there any other casting choices that just kind of popped and or you were just like really drawn to a, a particular actor or actress as a character oh yeah i mean i but odessa is dynamite as as mm-hmm. franny and is and was you know so helpful i mean all, all of these actors were so look they they were all so committed to you know to really doing right by the the book and these mm-hmm. iconic roles that they were playing and you know odessa uh, Odessa was so helpful in bringing Fran into 2019, 2020. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, like I, I love the character of Fran in the book too, but you know, she also is, was written 40 years ago. And, right. and, 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 you know, we, we made certain change. I mean, one of the, one of the changes that we made that I am very proud of is that, you know, in the book, Franny objects to the idea of enlisting Tom in the, in the mission for which they, eventually enlist Tom without mm-hmm. spoiling and uh and that's I, I, again without spoiling that is not the position she takes in our show and it was very important to me and to us and to Odessa to not have the the one woman on the on the committee the one woman in that in that main sort of group of of Mother Abigail's disciples be the one who somehow I don't know isn't isn't uh, practical enough and is too kind of caught up in her in her emotions or her or her upset at the idea of of sending tom that, that she's mm. the the one who's going to vote against it we I, I we didn't want to do that and we didn't do that and i'm i'm proud of it mm-hmm. um but there were look there were a bunch of actors i mean brad hankey who plays tom was the only person brad william hankey the only person i thought of for the role the only person we offered it to the only person i called i mean i i just I thought that was going to be such a such a slam dunk, and 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 Tom was the character, in a lot of ways, even more than Mother Abigail, that I felt needed needed an update from mm-hmm. from the book. I mean, I you know, in the sense that look, the the Tom in the book is, I you know, I think of him as Lenny from Of Mice and Men, just yeah, sort of transposed mm-hmm. into the King universe, and and sort of embodying that that old idea of a child trapped in an adult body. Right. But I don't I don't believe that exists. I mean, not in the way that I I think people mean it, which is the, the a kind of child lack of self-awareness. You know, my my experience of developmentally disabled adults is that they are not in the dark about whether mm-hmm. they're developmentally disabled, you know, or mm-hmm. whether they have differences from most of the people around them and challenges and and stuff that they're, you know, trying to transcend or overcome or find ways to to deal with. And, you know, it felt really important that we not have Tom be a child trapped in an adult body that we have Tom be a grown man who obviously he's got he's got deficits or or you know things things that he's dealing with and and some some piece of it as is suggested in the book you know some piece of what's going on with him at least in the book is is head trauma and some kind of childhood head trauma 
Um, and we we have that made clear in our show too. And and you know that was that was something that Brad and I talked a lot about because Brad, you know, in addition to being just a a wonderful actor who we knew from Justified is just uh, you know he just loses himself in in these parts and he's so yeah. he's so soulful and so interesting. Um, you know he also played at least one season in the NFL, at least one or two seasons in Canada, played big time college football, and he has a bunch of friends who, you know, have uh, suffered some really really serious effects of accumulated mm-hmm. head trauma. He, he actually showed me part of a documentary about one of them in particular that was. It was really affecting and and he told me a story about the guy in which I, I think it was a guy he maybe he played with in college I, I can't even remember but it was an old teammate of his and they were sitting together at one point a few years ago and the guy is really very uh, you know he, he's really very affected by CTE mm-hmm. um, but but the guy was sitting with Brad and he pointed to his head at one point and said in here it's still me uh, which yeah. I, I mean which is so obviously just so poignant and yeah. and and kind of heartbreaking but also felt like it really bolstered you know the the ways in which we we were updating the character and and playing him you know not again not as a child you know as somebody who really was was a grown person with a with a grown person's kind of you know sense of self and and it, the the other change we made going forward and without spoiling is and and that I'm that I'm very proud of is that you know in the book when Tom is sent on his mission uh Again, no spoilers, but when Tom is sent on his mission in the book, he's hypnotized mm-hmm. and and you have the sense that he's being sort of piloted as a as a vehicle by, mm. you know, by whoever, by whatever entity is is in control. And I, I, I've really felt strongly that we didn't want to do that and and yeah. that no, you know, we, we want these people to have to explain to Tom in a way that the Tom uh, that we're portraying can understand sort of what his mission is and what he's looking out for and, and, and the ways in which he's trying to avoid being caught. And then we want to see Tom carry out that mission and, and figure out a, a way to do it that is true to, you know, sort of how he would be thinking about things, and but but true to the resources that a person like that really has inside them, not not things that they're hypnotized into having or that, you know, that some external force kind of grants them temporarily or 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 is, you know, using a joystick to to bring out in them. But mm-hmm. but, you know, to to have him really understand this is this is what I'm supposed to do and to see him, you know, transcend his his various limitations and actually i mean again without spoiling really make a take a shot at doing it so um yeah i am I'm, I'm very proud of that change and and uh and of brad's performance i really think it's it's wonderful oh ditto ditto and and it's you could tell that there's just there's so much uh there's, there was such a concerted effort in that area and um and i think it turns out great and tom is just it's i think it's, it's just an incredible portrayal of Tom, oh, and especially so in a modern lens. And and one of the things also I really wanted to talk a, a little bit on that subject is something that we actually talked a lot about um, when <laughs> talking about this book for, I don't know, the 50 hours that we've dedicated to it on uh-huh. this podcast, but um, <laughs> is the is the sort of religiosity of it all, like, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the spiritual mm-hmm. th- and thematical influences. Sure. And I wondered how many, how much discussion was put into, well, how much do we, you know, wrestle with the religious themes? Um, how much religion do we want to weigh into it before this turns into 
lifetime area some sometimes can get in that way you know sure. especially uh, on a scene um you know outside of people that aren't you know falling under that denomination um were those a lot of discussions that were going on behind the scenes going into this oh sure i mean i, I think you know you i don't think you can approach kind of adapting the sand without you know having to really take on and figure out how you're going to treat its its religious underpinnings um i you know where where i come out and and i what, what we've tried to do in crafting the show is that i think you can look at it and watch it and enjoy it either way frankly and and i by either way i mean look mother abigail and and most of the characters in the show certainly put the events and 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 the the communication that she's getting from some kind of entity into a christian religious context mm -hmm. but you don't have to and, and and i think that's important right i mean well, look something supernatural is happening and some some entity is clearly in communication with mother abigail now yeah. mm -hmm. she is the one who is you know saying that it's god i i don't know that we have any you know real indication of that, except that's how she interprets it. And that's the lens through which she sees it. And if you as a viewer want to trust that and, and you know, sort of embrace that, that's fine. But I don't think it's required. You know, I think that you can believe that there is an entity that's in touch with her and she's putting it in the in the context in which she was raised and, and has come to believe. But I don't know that there's any, you know, I don't know that you can prove that that's what's what's really going on. And I think that's, I think that's where we want to live. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't think, I don't think we need to be completely definitive about it because I think it's, it's also true to the experience and it's true to the, it's true to the idea of faith. I mean, yep. you know, if, if you have faith that that's what's happening, then that's what's happening. And if you don't, and you're just like, like Glenn Bateman, if you're just a man of science and you're just sort of taking in the the information that is that is provable and knowable well then you know that these things are going on but you can't necessarily trace them back to any particular bible or text or or yeah. put them in any particular religious tradition and and uh, you know anyway so so that is maybe a long answer to your question but it, it is true that we had lots and lots of discussions about how to treat that stuff and 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 that is where we come out no, I think it's a smart approach. I, I always mm -hmm. look at it almost kind of like um, it's like very Hemingway esque, or like or like almost like a Rorschach approach, where you can just be like, you know, you take what you get, you know, or you take what you can make out of it, which sure. I think is just the smartest way uh, yeah. to oh, go good. about it. And kind of, you know, kind of what King mostly infers, especially with including like you know, like Glenn Bateman, who is able mm -hmm. to kind of weigh in more with like philosophical um, discussions that maybe skew like the the skew the, the the more literal definition of like all right well what we're seeing here is god versus the devil because that's just not right. really as it's stated but um yeah no so i kudos to that for sure yeah oh thank you and yeah. i think if you look at king's larger work those are themes that he comes out with like there aren't very many instances of him coming down on one side or another i think he's interested in in the middle in the characters like Harold, absolutely you know um oh oh 100 which is why i'm so drawn to his work i think um one of the things that I have always had a hard time with when, when I was reading this was the song, Baby, Can You Dig Your Man? And just trying to hear it in my head. And mm -hmm. I've read this book so many times and I just kind of read that and I don't hear it. So I wonder, how did you approach writing 
a version of that song, like making uh, that song your own, you know? Well, yes. Uh, so I am, I am, I, from a family of wonderful musicians, but I'm not yeah. a musician. Taylor, Taylor Elmore is, is a musician or a recovering mm -hmm. musician. Um, <laughs> but no, we have, uh, look, for, for one thing, our, our composers, um, Mike Mogus and, and Nate uh, Walcott are just, uh, you know, they're beautiful. I mean, the, oh, yeah. the score for the show is beautiful, mm -hmm. but also what they've done with the song. And they they partnered with a guy, our our music supervisor, Season Ken, who's just wonderful, has wonderful taste. She she brought us a guy because we we told her sort of how we were thinking of Larry's style and Larry's mm -hmm. sound, and obviously mm -hmm. it was based in part on Jovan and Jovan's style and and sort of how we thought he would he would fit into the current kind of music landscape and we we came we came to this you know kind of Lenny Kravitz meets Jimi Hendrix meets Gary Clark Jr. that was that was yeah. <laughs> that was what we talked about and you know season recommended a guy named Duran Jones who is uh, he he has a group called Duran Jones and the Impressions and oh, yeah. I, I yeah. imagine you know the the music people who listen to this will really know it i mean he is just He's just dynamite. He's a di he's a dynamite performer, songwriter. I mean, he's a singer. He's really and he, you know, I guess Nate and Mike approached him, and he was excited about the idea, the the challenge of kind of you know coloring within the lines of the the song that is described in the book. And I, yeah, they came up with something that I feel like I would listen to. <laughs> you know, I it really does feel like a sort of Jimi Hendrix, Lenny Kravitz mashup hybrid, mm -hmm. and it's. It's just wonderful. I'm 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 really proud of it. I love it. Oh yeah, and and there's so much music music in this. Oh yes, series. And I I wanted to. I'd be totally remiss if I didn't ask. Like you know, all three episodes in, we've seen so many incredible needle drops, and and I especially <laughs> love the Billy Joel Stranger. At the good. And it's so good. But were those built into the script, or did those come oh, after yeah. the fact? Oh wow, awesome. I mean, well, listen, that's not sorry. <laughs> uh, I, that is not necessarily true of all of them. And, and season, season can, yeah, I really, our music supervisor has brilliant taste. And like, she found there's a, there's a song called space song that I had never heard, uh, that we use, um, in episode two as, as they're leaving New York uh -huh. on this sort of enormous shot. And I, I had never heard that song before. As soon as she played it for us, I was just like, Oh my God, this is, perfect i mean beyond the dreams of avarice um and, but then a, a bunch of stuff you know is is scripted the the stranger i can't remember you know i i'm not even a huge billy joel fan frankly but the 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 whistle from the stranger felt like a whistle like it, it was sort of i think we said to each other i can't believe tarantino hasn't you know repurpose this whistle for something because yeah. it's so weird and haunting and interesting and uh it just felt like my god that would be such a fun uh kind of theme for the dark man and to tease the dark man's appearance and and I, you, funnily enough the needle drop at the end of episode two was always brand new key in the in the script even before we cast wow. heather graham but the oh, fact wow. that it's roller girls uh theme song was certainly did not escape us in the, such a cool yeah i love that the decision to there. keep it there but no i i uh yeah i i'm so glad you you were a fan of the needle well, it's, so it's because, are we and by the way i oh wait you guys have seen through six yes there's some okay so some you know great... every, everybody asks about uh, yes. <laughs> you know certain certain things that that may have appeared in the original miniseries and i mm. i i just i would say 
just just give it time. Oh I, yeah, you know. and, and and honestly, like you know, because so much of it is standing on ceremony in terms of even just needle drops, because obviously, like the Cryo House needle drop and the original one is just is just iconic. Mm-hmm. But I, I honestly like using the the changes by Black Sabbath. It was just I can't stop think I can't stop listening to that. Oh like, we were, good, it's so by the perfect. Way, o- Odessa Young's idea. Oh wow. awesome. Completely I, Odessa. We had some other set of things for that scene, and she was like, oh, changes by Black Sabbath. And first of all, we were like, I'm sorry, how do you know what Black Sabbath is? She's like, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, she that that is another thing about Odessa and a reason that she's so dynamite in the part. I mean, talk about an old soul. It's mm, like, mm-hmm. you know, we would we would sort of pinch ourselves to things she would say and be like, I'm sorry. I mean, you know, I have, I, I don't mean to sound condescending in the least. I have daughters who are 13 and 10 and Odessa is much closer in age to them than she is to to me or us but uh, you know she would just say things and know about things that are like I'm sorry weren't you a zygote when, yeah. <laughs> when that was happening I don't understand yeah but yeah. yeah no that was her suggestion and man does it work oh, it's I, so I'm good. so glad you guys like it yeah so good I think I've listened I think my Spotify account for that one is probably up to like 30 at this point now I just like writing right, the review right. I was just sitting there like playing it over and over again and my girlfriend was just like again I'm gonna listen to this <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, so Stephen King has written a new coda for the story, which I am really sure excited has. about because I've read this book. I mean, I, I think I've lost count of how many times I've read this book. But as I'm watching this, there's going to be something that I don't know about. And that there is certainly really- certainly is. And I and I will make you more excited with the with the only thing, I guess, that I'll really say about it. Well, you know, look, he'd been planning this for 30 years and, mm-hmm. and you know, he sort of he told us that there was this thing that he was maybe planning. He wasn't sure he was going to do it. And then he read the first couple drafts of what we were doing. And he really, you know, he really sparked to them. I mean, he really, he, he saw, I think that we had our own real strong vision and for how to tell the story and, and he could get with it. And so he decided he was going to trust us to, to do this coda that he had, that he had been imagining for, for 30 years. And, and uh, the, the thing that I will say about it that I think is going to excite you uh, <laughs> is is that the the genesis of it from in you know from his point of view or the the need for it was generated by he, the the thing that aided him uh, from the book, which was that that Franny never got to go on the stand, right? I mean that you know when they leave to walk across the Rocky Mountains to Las Vegas, she's seven months pregnant. She's not going to mm-hmm. be able to walk across. She's not going to walk eight hundred miles to Las Vegas. But it always galled him that you know Franny is obviously one of the main heroes of the book, and she doesn't get to participate in the climax and the ultimate mm-hmm. confrontation with the Dark Man. So the what the the thing that I will say about the coda is that. It is it is King's attempt and desire to rectify that to to give Franny her stand. Well, that's music that's, to your ears, Jen. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I'm getting teary hearing oh, that because see? that character just means so much to me. Oh, I'm and, so glad. Oh, I cannot wait. <laughs> yes. No, I'm I'm excited for you to for you to see it for you to see yeah. what he wanted to do. Yeah. This whole track is going to be great. And I'm so glad this is week to week because I swear to God, I know that I would have just, I mean, when I got the six episodes, I just binged them in like two days and I'm like, Damn oh, it. good. but I'm just so excited that the, we're going to have the week to week thing. Cause it's just been, it's, it's a nice, no, me too. I, lo- I love that. I, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I love the week to week and, and yes, I, I will be very interested in what you guys make of the last three. They get pretty wild. So, I cannot yeah. wait. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us again. And um, yes. I'm hoping uh, that we can uh, talk to, uh, maybe at the end of the bookend for, uh, for this That, uh, this that would be lovely. Be I, I really, yeah. I'll, I'll be very interested to hear what you make of nine in particular. <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck with everything. And we'll, uh, we'll chat soon. <laughs> yes, All right. Thank, thank you, so you guys. Thanks what a, a pleasure. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>
Laser one actual. This, this is, is General Fitzpatrick. Yes, sir. Identify yourself. Private First Class Charles Campion, sir. I'm getting alerts. Are the readings elevated on your end? Yes, sir. I see the readings, but there's no... I just got a secondary alert. What do you see? Sir. Go ahead. Is this an exercise? No, Private. This is not an exercise. Wasn't that nice? Well... Here's some more good news. Uh, while the holidays are pretty much over and they're quickly disappearing in our rear view, oh God, we'll have six more episodes of The Stand to Enjoy in the weeks ahead. So we got so much road to cover um, and uh, you're going to want to stick with us. We know we're going to be keep doing our weekly coverage. I think it's been fun. I think it's been joyous. I think it's been uplifting. I think it's going to be uh, something to get us through January, which is arguably the worst month of the year. I apologize if you have your birthday then. Um, but I mean, let's be real. It's just a, it's just a bad month. Um, and uh, But also be sure to start reading uh, Desperation Regulators. Uh, we're going to be covering those books back to back in February, the month of love, uh, if you could believe that. Um, and then, uh, you know, we got, uh, we got even more content for you. If you like Veruca Salt and you just want more, you know, I watched that movie over the holidays. Not really a Christmas movie per se, but you know, Hey, it worked. Uh, but if you are a Veruca Salt and you're sitting there thinking like, I want more content, I need more content. Well, you know, good news again, cause we have it. Uh, just join us over at the Barons, which is our clever way of calling a Patreon. Um, and that's at a www patreon.com slash the baron sorry i just had a brain hiccup there for a second but uh, uh the description is also in the feed of this episode so if you didn't really get that you can literally just look at that and go oh wow there's the uh, web address i should probably click on it um <laughs> anyway that's there you can find us uh given content week to week that's extra and bonus here we got some commentaries of the movies that we're doing i think we've been doing them all chronologically so we have carrie i think i'm like i don't know um we did Carrie in November. Last month, we did The Shining. And this month, we're heading to Castle Rock because we're going to be uh, seeing our good old friend Cooge, uh, Louis Teague's Cooge. Um, so, yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, we're also going to be talking about The Blair Witch Project. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of that movie, but it scared the hell out of Stephen King, and it scared the hell out of a lot of us. So we're going to be talking about that in our latest crate. We're going to have some more bonus episodes. Um, so, yeah, join us over there. Uh, and then also you can follow our socials. Uh, my, my wonderful girlfriend, Sammy Kuykendall, uh, runs those socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We'll probably try to think of more. Maybe we'll join TikTok. Wouldn't that be cool? That seems like be a hip thing to do these days. Just join TikTok. I mean, we'll do some cool shining, uh, theme TikToks. Yeah, no. Um, but if, Hey, if you want it, we'll do it. Uh, but probably not. Uh, anyway, get some fresh content over at those socials. Um, and then also, you know, you'll be seeing us again at the, the regular weekly feed here. But uh, until then, I'll be seeing you as we trudge through another year, another long 12 months <laughs> to the holidays. Uh, but we'll be doing them together. Uh, we'll be doing this trudge together over long days. And you know the rest. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot Consequence Podcast Network.